Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, a little bit of Packers news to touch on since we last spoke. Green Bay's top two draft picks, cornerbacks Jair Alexander from Louisville and Josh Jackson from Iowa, now under contract. They have signed their rookie deals. That leaves, at this point, only third-round pick Oren Burks unsigned. And by the time some people watch this or listen to this, he might be signed as well because these things are happening rather quickly. Yep. And it's because of the uh, the current collective bargaining agreement. Post-2011, this issue with rookie contracts and training camp holdouts and all this kind of stuff, really things of the past. The, the thing that's so funny, Mike, is I started on the Packers beat full-time in 2012, and I think the greatest gift that was given to me was that CBA and the rookie <laughs> wage scale. I mean, I have heard so many horror stories from beat writers about what those days were like when not only are you chasing the contract, but then you'd get to training camp or the eve of training camp and you're not sure if guys are going to be holding out or just sitting out. Right, because throughout the offseason program, you can sign a waiver to participate in things. Once you get to training camp, you have to have an actual contract to be out there. That's right. Um, now, now in this current environment, it's not as much of a big deal because of the rookie wage scale. Really, basically slots players where they are uh, in terms of what they're going to make. But back in the day, man, it was sort of like the Wild West in terms of what these guys were going to get. And every all these agents, all these players were kind of just sitting around waiting to see how things unfolded, so to make sure that their guy got as much as they you know could potentially command. Yeah, there were agents and players. Uh... Uh, you know, waiting to see what guys drafted near them right. would get to, you know, they, they didn't want to shortchange themselves. They, you know, so they didn't want to jump in too early. Everything ends up getting delayed. And then you end up with players, these rookies who, you know, end up as contract holdouts or training camp holdouts. They get that label when really they want to sign their deal yeah. and they want to play it. And it's, it's just, you know, the economics of things were always difficult. I, I remember, Nick Barnett, I think it was, the first-round draft pick for the Packers in 2003, was sitting in his car watching the first training camp practice out his car window because he couldn't be there. He couldn't actually even be on the sideline to watch it without a contract. But he was just waiting, really, to get that phone call from his agent. Okay, it's all set. Go yeah. sign it You know, and put your uniform out there and go play. So good that uh, that you know those days are, are behind us because it definitely – I think any time rookies miss time in training camp, it, it hurts them. You don't want them to miss those first couple, three, four practices. Even if they're back before the first preseason game, any time they miss in camp is is valuable. Well, you and I were talking in our pre-production meeting about since they did the new CBA, if they've had any issues whatsoever with rookie contracts, I can't think of one. I can't think of one either, not, sin not since 2011, the, and, the new CBA. And you go back to the 2000s. I mean, Ted Thompson, Andrew Brandt, and Russ Ball, I mean, some guys are the best in the business at what they do they still had Aaron Rodgers sitting out and I believe also BJ Raji guys because they're high picks and they want to get what they believe they're worth yeah but there wasn't really any guiding force whatsoever so I, I think that this is one of the most positive things that came out of the most recent collective bargaining agreement because it protects veterans it makes sure that veterans are still not getting shortchanged or getting cut to make room for guys that have never done anything, never played a snap yeah. in the NFL before, while also being respectful to what these rookies should be making for really the attention that they're getting. And, and even when you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, the, the expectations that get put on him right away. Yeah, and it made sense for the players' union back in 2011 to agree to this because they were seeing veteran players, as you mentioned, getting cut their careers not extending perhaps as long as they should because you had number one overall draft picks, for instance, like Sam Bradford and Matthew Stafford right. in, in 
2009, 2010, in that range, who were getting $50 million of guaranteed money before they even took a snap in the NFL. Things got out of whack, and the 2011 CBA, you know, kind of put things back in line a little bit to where the veterans are getting what they should, and the rookies are going to have the opportunity down the road. One of the things I think Martin Mayhew, and, and I know he did end up getting let go as the GM of the, the Lions, but people got to understand how terrible that situation was because they had that 0-16 season, so they had all these early draft picks coming up, but you know Matthew Stafford, Adamic, and Sue, that put them not only in a hole where they were signing these guys, but then when you're looking at second contracts, yeah. because nobody's going to want to play out that first contract and take less. <laughs> they want to get more. They right. want, and, and you push that cap number forward. It was causing a lot of problems. Uh, now you look at the way it is now, the fact that these deals get done, these rookies get into camps, they can start preparing, they can start preparing for their next face of life outside of football. Um, I, I think from all, every avenue, outside of maybe the running back position where you can make a case that this has been something that's really benefited the whole. Yeah, it doesn't put teams in salary cap jail to go a couple of years with a top 10 draft pick, right. and that's what used to happen. You go two, three years picking in the top 10 or top 12, all of a sudden your cap is blown on all these rookie deals. Imagine where the Jaguars would be right now, you know, if that was how it worked out. Right, yeah, exactly. With that, we'll go to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkiewicz in that one. Wes, we don't have a whole lot of other Packers news to discuss, so I want to spend the rest of this show broadening our horizons a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more league-wide in general here. There was an interesting question I got in our Insider Inbox column recently, and it was someone asking, within the context of the fact that the Los Angeles Rams went from kind of an afterthought to a division champion and a playoff team. And the Jacksonville Jaguars went from 3-13 and 13 to the AFC Championship game in one year. Is there one of these turnaround teams on the brink, so to speak, of a big turnaround in 2018? You got one in mind? It's Houston Texans, okay. without a doubt. And the, again, I'll add the caveat that if Deshaun Watson is back, makes the recovery they need from that ACL surgery. Here's what's funny, Mike. That could have been a disastrous trade for the Texans last year, trading their first rounder for this next year so they could get up, trade up to get Deshaun Watson. I didn't hear one single person anywhere in the country mentioning that narrative, though, because of how well Watson played before that ACL. Right. You're willing to give up that number fourth overall pick to the Cleveland Browns if you saw what you saw for last year from Deshaun Watson. If you've got your franchise guy, you've got no complaints. Yeah, you're not complaining about it. And yep. I think they're excited about what his future holds, assuming everything turns out okay coming back from the knee injury. The fact that J.J. Watt could potentially be back. I think Jadavion Clowney has made some strides. There's a lot of talent there, and I think they're better than what their record indicated last year after they lost Watson. So for me, especially looking at that division, considering if you go back, it's <laughs> sort of been anybody's division in any given year. And the fact that two teams actually made it in the playoffs last year because of you know some of the depth concerns from right. the AFC, yeah, um, I, I have I see no reason why the the Texans couldn't be back in this thing. All right, I I definitely agree with that pick. I'm going to throw another one at you though that maybe a lot of people aren't thinking about, and that's the New York Giants. Yeah, I say that for a few reasons. One, this is a team that was just in the playoffs two years ago. 
you've got a quarterback. I know he's on the downside of his career, but you've got a quarterback who's been there, done that, won a couple of Super Bowls. You've added Saquon Barkley to that offense. And if there is one issue, I guess I would say two issues with the Giants offensively over the last couple of years – one has been receivers staying healthy. So yeah. if those if those receivers stay healthy, Eli Manning's a different quarterback. And number two, and put them in whatever order you want, maybe this should be number one, is pass protection. Well, there might be no better help for pass protection than a running back like Saquon Barkley who's going to make defenses have to stop the run. Yeah. That may be the best protection that Eli Manning is going to get. I know they have a new head coach and Pat Shermer. You know, the Giants are not defensively certainly what they were in uh, in those Super Bowl years. But I'm telling you, I'm not blown away by anybody else in the NFC East aside from obviously the, the Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, which is going to make it difficult for uh, the Giants to jump back from wherever they were last year into the playoffs or something like that. But I don't sleep on the Giants. Yeah, and it's a good pick too, Mike, because the Cowboys came back down to earth last year. They're going through kind of a, a I don't want to call it rebuilding, but definitely trying to retool mm-hmm. uh, what they have there. Washington now going to see what they can do with Alex Smith. My biggest issue with the Giants, um, Saquon Barkley might be a once-in-generation player. They drafted Will Hernandez to block for him out of UTEP, the former guard for, for uh, Aaron Jones that we talked so much about in the pre-draft process. Yeah. I really, really, really wanted to see them take Sam Darnold, and instead he goes to the across the, you know, city team. Yeah. Uh, with the New York Jets. Yep. Only time will tell us which one of those moves was correct. Maybe Barkley becomes the next Adrian Peterson or Barry Sanders, and you know it was a moot point. But I really did think they needed to improve their holdings at quarterback. Now they also got the kid from Richmond. Uh, I forget his name, uh, but the, the they're really high on him. Yeah, the fourth round pick. Yeah, the I, name I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, on the name for as Kyle well. Lanetta. Or, uh, Lanetta. Uh, remember seeing him at the combine? He had a table full of press there because people thought he was going to be the next Patriots quarterback. So it's not like they didn't find another one, but they've gone the fourth round pick route before, yeah. and it hasn't pushed Eli Manning at that spot. So yes, you're right. They have a veteran quarterback that's won two Super Bowls. I just would have liked to have seen them gotten Darnold and start building for the next chapter. We'll see which one ends up being right. Yeah, all right. Well, we've got some more uh, bigger issues league-wide I want to throw your way, but we'll do that after the break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. Okay, Wes, we spent some time earlier this offseason talking about the coaching changes in the NFC North, the Bears and the Lions both getting new head coaches. But there are a handful of other new head coaches around the league. I mentioned the Giants in the last segment. The Cardinals, the Colts, the Titans, and the Raiders also have new head coaches. Is there one of those new coaching hires that intrigues you the most? It's Gruden. Of course. And, and the Raiders. I, yeah. I always tell this story. Um, it's now three and a half years ago. My old colleague at the Green Bay Press-Gazette and I, Scott Vensey, uh, we shadowed John Gruden around Green Bay before a Monday night football game. Uh, he was given away a, a donation through his charity uh, the, in the Fired Football Coaches Association to Green Bay East and Green Bay West. We followed him to this presentation, and the entire time we were grilling him, about whether or not he was going to come back. And in so many words, he said, no, I like what I'm doing too much. Yeah. But you always knew. It, it didn't matter what he said or how many times he declined it. <laughs> you always knew that there was that outside chance. And seeing how much money 
Oh my goodness! You know, has was thrown at him uh, by Mark Davis. I, there, you had to do it. But the the reason it's not even just Gruden coming back that intrigues me. It's the moves that they've made since then, and some of the changes that they made in 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 how they're constructing their roster uh, and the players that they have. I want to see how all that eventually settles out. Right, and in some ways, I would. I would uh, issue a, a word of caution, in a sense, to the folks in Oakland because Reggie McKenzie, and I'm, I'll admit I'm biased. I really liked Reggie when he was here. I was sad to see him go, but happy for him in a personal sense that he got a chance to become yeah. a GM. But he pulled that franchise out of a salary cap mess of gargantuan proportions. And then, you know, with the drafting of the quarterback, Derek Carr, and some other really good moves, he's gotten them back to contending status in fairly short order when yeah. you look at it in the bigger picture. Things that we're hearing out of Oakland, and you and I aren't there every day, but it sounds like John Gruden is starting to have a little bit more say over personnel and things and treading into that GM territory a little bit. And I say just watch it, watch it a little bit because Reggie McKenzie – knows what he's doing. He does, and it's funny, too, because I think if John Gruden had that power when he was in Tampa Bay, the the situation is completely different. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is probably down, or Brett Favre is probably down there playing football for him, or Aaron Rodgers or somebody with right. all the times he's talked about that. But that being said, personnel guys are personnel guys for a reason, and I think you know one of the reasons the Raiders were so patient with Reggie when he went down there is just because how muddled that situation oh, is. Oh, it was terrible. With how short the lifespan is, um, you know, for, for, you know, contracts, only five years in terms of the proration of bonuses, guys aren't signing 12 year contracts like major league baseball, but even then it still took so long for the Raiders to pull themselves out of that because yeah. year after year, they were making bad deal after bad deal. McKenzie cleared the slate. They got a 12-4 and season out of it, looked to be going in the right direction, took a step back. Now they're trying to reset. I think it's still very important to stay with those principles uh, that, that got them there in the first place and also got them Derek Carr you know, and, and Khalil Mack, the, the prospects that McKenzie found. Yeah, Mari Cooper. I mean, the fact that he projected Khalil Mack to go from doing what he did at Buffalo yeah. and third overall pick or whatever it was and making him a star in this league – says a lot about his scouting acumen. Yeah, no doubt about it. Another of the coaching changes that intrigues me, it's another one in the AFC, and that's with the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, and I say sure. that for, again, a couple of reasons. One, this is a team that not only made the playoffs last year, but won a road playoff game in Kansas City. Not an easy place to go and win in the postseason on the road. But yet they decided to part ways with Mike Malarkey, and they've hired Mike Vrabel. Um I'm always curious to see how the guys, I guess you would call them from the Bill Belichick, the Patriots tree, how they're going to fare because, you know, Josh McDaniels, has, you know, didn't yeah. work out when he got his first head coaching job in Denver. And then now he, he passed on another head coaching opportunity, obviously, this past offseason. But then also with the Titans, you mentioned the AFC South how that division can kind of be up for grabs, the way things go. And then their quarterback, Marcus Mariota, very high draft pick, a guy who has definitely improved. You know, is his arrow still pointing up? Have we still not seen the best of Marcus Mariota in the NFL? Or have we? And then maybe getting to the playoffs and winning one game is is their ceiling, how they're currently constructed. I don't know. I just think they're an yeah. intriguing team to keep an if eye the, on. If you're the Titans, you better hope that you haven't seen the best out of Marcus Mariota. That's right. Because last year, honestly, to be quite honest, wasn't very good. Until the playoff uh, game. Until the playoffs, yeah. he played well. But you look at that regular season, uh, it, it is it is impressive that they made the playoffs, but they had a lot of things working against them. The reason I bring that up is because I think they put a lot of this at Malarkey's feet. They put a lot of it at Dick LeBeau's feet. Um, but... 
at the end of the day, it's a quarterback-driven league, and they have put talent around him. Now, how does that talent further develop and grow? Yeah. They made some acquisitions uh, this offseason. Me personally, and this is just me, I would have dedicated myself to Derrick Henry. But, you know, they made some other changes there. They don't want right. him to be the sole back. But there is a lot of talent there. Um, they're looking for consistency now, and that starts with Mariota. Yeah, all right. With that, we're going to go to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. Okay, Wes, one more topic I want to throw at you here as we wrap up the show for today. I found something interesting the other day. I was just doing a little quick research, something I was working on for Insider Inbox, and I noticed you look at the last four years in the NFL, the MVPs, 2017 Tom Brady, 2016 Matt Ryan, 2015 Cam Newton, 2014 Aaron Rodgers. Turns out those are the only four active quarterbacks in the NFL who have won an MVP award. Obviously, Brady has won multiple. Rodgers has won multiple. So it leads me to this question. Who do you think is the next quarterback currently active who is going to win an MVP? Now, you can go a couple different directions with this because you have the old guard, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, those guys who have not won an MVP yet, and you have a slew of young up-and-coming quarterbacks that nobody knows just yet how good they're going to be. Who do you think? I want to just say it's incredible to me uh, when you pointed this out that Drew Brees hasn't won an MVP. When when you think about it, it makes sense. Uh, But considering the way that that offense is structured – uh, him throwing for 5,000 yards as many times as he has, it actually is surprising. But I get it. They were 7-9 and nine for like three or four straight seasons. There was some rebuilding that had to be done there. Fine. For me, though, I, I still think Ben Roethlisberger has one in him. Okay. Uh, even though there's been sort of this hovering, floating theory that, you know, he might be getting near the end or he might want to retire soon, uh, Roethlisberger has the capability I still think, I, I know that Aaron Rodgers is more athletically gifted than Roethlisberger, but Roethlisberger is the closest thing I've seen in this league to encompassing what Aaron Rodgers does um, and probably is even more uh, untackleable, if you want to use that word. <laughs> he might be one of the size. hardest quarterbacks to sack just in terms of physically yeah. getting him on the ground. But it just seems like he has that ability to, to extend plays one way or another, not maybe with his feet as much as Rodgers, but he just he has that X factor that he always keeps you in, ahead on things. Yeah. I've, I've been a huge fan of his ability on the football field since he came out and replaced Tommy Maddox. Uh, I believe in 2005, whenever that was. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I think Roethlisberger, one way or another, um, I, I think he still has the potential to do that. Yeah, I've had a hard time with this question because I still can't decide which direction I want to go. There's a part of me that says Drew Brees has got an MVP in him, the way they have retooled some things on that Saints defense. We saw how close they were. They were a fluke play essentially away from playing for the NFC Championship in Philadelphia last year when uh, with what happened in Minneapolis on the last play of the game. I think Breeze potentially has an MVP in him, but then the other guy 
that I think is definitely headed for an MVP sooner rather than later might be Carson Wentz in yeah. Philadelphia because before he got hurt last year, when I did get a chance to watch the Eagles, I was really impressed with how difficult he was to sack his escapability and not only just to keep plays alive, but then also to run and, and rush for yardage. His ACL was not because of getting sacked in the pocket. He was diving for the goal line for a touchdown on, yeah. on a scramble. And he's still awfully young. I don't know if the ACL surgery is going to change the way he plays. My guess is that it won't. And I think that's a guy who's got an MVP in his future. I've always looked at this as stages like the quarterback club, right? With Favre and young and Aikman. And, and then you always have these generations where these guys are the top quarterbacks in the league I I thought for a while okay after Roethlisberger and Rodgers who's the next guy Um, and there's guys that are very good pro bowl all pro type players but who's going to be the guy that really drives the league I think Wentz has that ability yep I think think he's the best quarterback prospect that's been taken arguably since Cam Newton in 2011 different types of players but in terms of what they offered and bring to the table uh, he was exceptional he was exceptional his rookie season to step in there going from it's FCS football and proving everybody <laughs> wrong that he his yeah. skills could translate. Uh, a guy like Josh Allen getting picked out of a smaller school like Wyoming, I think that's a product of what Carson Wentz did a few years ago. Absolutely. Um, I also think, to be honest with you, Mike, I think Nick Foles is going to be a starting quarterback in this league too. I think he's finally at that point. I think he's matured enough that after this season, if Wentz can come back from the knee, that Foles is going to find a home. But that one-two punch together – what Wentz did to set them up last year and how Foles finished it, that's that's a big driving force for why the Eagles were able to win that Super Bowl last season. Yeah, just to go one other quick thing. Out of those five quarterbacks taken in the first round this year, including Lamar Jackson taken at the end of the first round, who do you think, big picture, is going to have the best career out of those five? I still love Lamar Jackson. Okay. I've loved him since the beginning. I think the guy can play quarterback. I think he's going to be dynamic. I think the safe money, in my opinion, is on Sam Darnold just because of his makeup and, and exactly what he offers as in terms of the physical, prototypical quarterback that you look for in terms of size. I'll throw my lot in with John Dorsey, Elliott Wolf, and Alonzo Highsmith and go with Baker Mayfield. But who knows? I guess it's something, they know to, watch, quite a bit. something to watch for years to come. <laughs> with that, we will sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, you can still find him at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.